This is a conspiracy channel. Tape one. Welcome to the Hush Channel. Before we begin our trek through the mystery surrounding the American Highlands, I want to point out something to keep in mind throughout the duration of the succeeding tapes, and that is iron. Iron is the most abundant element by mass on Earth, constituting about 80% of the inner and outer cores of the planet. The surface of the planet where we live is called the crust. It is a very thin layer, assumed to be about 43.5 miles or 70 kilometers thick. The fraction of iron that is in Earth's crust only amounts to about 5% of the mass of the crust, placing it as the fourth most abundant element inside the crust following oxygen, silicon, and aluminum. In folklore, iron has been long believed to ward off spirits and repel the likes of fae, witches, ghosts, and captured hags and jinn alike. This belief is seen in the Hindu Vedas, which are the oldest manuscripts in the Hindu religion, and Hinduism itself is the oldest known standing religion to date at over 4,000 years old. In fact, in Tibet, they use meteoric iron in the creation of ritualistic tools such as their singing bowls. Meteoric iron is also called sky iron. It is a native metal found in meteorites and made from the elements of iron and nickel. It is said to be the supreme substance for forging the physical representation of Vajra, or what is known as iron weapons, since it has already been tempered by the celestial gods and its passage across the heavens, outer space. Many weapons of the Hindu gods were forged by meteoric iron, in which they sometimes used to inflict pain on humans and even each other in a war of the Vedas between the gods, a war that has left nuclear evidence in lost cities now found by Mohenjo-Daro, where scientists wonder how radiation got into the area. The Vedas tell of a war of the worlds between the gods happening that would be the obvious answer ignored. So the fact that iron and the higher entities and or even demonic-like entities seem to be affected by iron, it says that there is more to this than just myth. In one way or another, we have all heard of such stories. King Solomon capturing jinn or genies and iron lamps in iron containers like in extra-canical biblical stories and even in the Arabian Nights. Then there is the notion of kneeling an iron horseshoe to a door to repel evil spirits, which later became a notion to bring good luck. Or surrounding a cemetery with an iron fence, which was believed to contain the souls of the dead to inside the cemetery. Or burying an iron knife under the entrance of one's home, which was believed to keep witches from entering. In the Bible, Judges 1 and 19, God was unable to lead the nation of Judah to victory against the valley men due to them having chariots of iron. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. 
Considering the amount of iron that occupies Earth's inner core, if hell really does reside inside Earth's inner core or somewhere beneath the surface, as in between the inner and outer core, as many theologians believe, it would make perfect sense that these low vibrational spirits are essentially trapped in iron. Makes you think about how 70% of the iron in the human body is found in the hemoglobin proteins of red blood cells, which carry oxygen throughout the body. About 3 to 4 grams of iron overall is found in the human body and distributed throughout hemoglobin tissues, muscles, bone marrow, blood proteins, enzymes, ferritin, hemoceridin, and transport in plasma. 3 to 4 grams is not a lot, but considering humans have a physical body but are essentially spirits, and this is just our flesh suits, the minute amounts of iron distributed throughout our bodies may just be enough to imprison our spirits to our fleshy meat suits with minimum damage. Although the end goal still seems to be that we should be able to transcend our flesh and be in spirit in higher vibrational realms at the end of our physical lives. All in all, the question does arise. Adhering to what is spoken of in the book of Judges, why would God be affected by iron? If you're an avid follower of these tapes, then what is understood doesn't need to be explained. But if not, rest assured, here is a snapshot of the situation. For a more in-depth detail, please refer to the first creation tapes, one through four. Anunnaki have many by names since their initial time on this earth. Angels, gods, and the fae are just a few. Though people depict them in similar likenesses, divisions by way of race, culture, religion, time, and location does not usually lead people to realizing how alike these entities are when depicted by humans and talked about by humans. Thus, it causes people to do things like accept that angels exist, but think a person who believes in the fae to be absurd, even though when they are depicted, they look exactly alike. Even when their backstories and abilities are discussed, they are parallel to one another. You tend to hear more about iron repelling gods or spirits as it pertains to the Anunnaki and cultures where they are recognized as the Fae or as fairies. Peris, P-E-R-I-S, were angelic beings mentioned as early as the Archimedes Empire, circa 550 BC in antiquity in pre-Islamic Persia, which was an empire birthed from Persis, Iran. Persis was essentially formed when the Aryan nomads of the Caucasus Mountains of Eurasia traveled south down through Mesopotamia, down to the lands of the Dravidians, who were a people who were the direct descendants of King Nimrod via his daughter, Princess Azarad, who was married to Eber, the great-grandson of Shem, and it is Eber from whom the term Hebrew derives, as he is the father of the Hebrews. Princess Azarad and Eber had two sons, one named Peleg, whose descendants allegedly wrote the rest of the Bible's Old Testament, the other named Yachtan, who had a slew of children, including the famous Sheba, Ophir, and Havela. But Yachtan and his children of varying ages, some of even their own families by this time, they migrated west of Sumeria during the time that the Tower of Babel was being built, essentially filling in south 
South and Southeast Asia. And over time, some even crossed the Pacific Ocean and settled the islands inside the Pacific. And over generations, they would continue migrating east and settling in the Americas where they would interbreed with the indigenous of the Americas there. So King Nimrod's story is an important detail because it was Nimrod who was the first king of kings after the flood. He subjected Shem and Yaphim's lineages and raised the comedic lineage of his grandfather Cam, which is the correct name of Biblical Ham. And thus Nimrod raised all the lineages of Cam, which is the comedic lineage to royalty. Nimrod also founded Samaria, which is the world's oldest city after the flood. It is the first cradle of civilization. Samaria in the Bible is called Shinar, and even the Bible attests to the fact that Nimrod established this city. Nimrod was not fully human, just like his grandfather Cam. So of course Nimrod, he was an avid believer of the old way of life prior to the flood, and he was actually a part of his hierarchy as he was a demigod himself. Contrary to the Bible, Nimrod actually existed prior to Noah's flood under by names such as Ninurta and Gilgamesh. According to the Mesopotamian epics, Nimrod was actually of Anunnaki descent, placing him as one of the beings that humans at the time considered gods. And his father was actually biblical Yahweh, who allegedly, from these stories, possessed the body of Cush and had sex with Cush's wife. And thus, Nimrod was born as a child of both biblical Yahweh and biblical Cush. Biblical Yahweh is the Anunnaki entity in Lil, who is the supreme Anunnaki entity on Earth. Such sexual assaulted acts resulted in the births of demigods and gods all over the place is very common for Enlil where he is found in different religions. The most infamous is probably in ancient Greece where Enlil is Zeus. You see traces of Cam's lineage not being fully human in the Bible where they are typically demonized and called pagans and giants. And we are told in the book of Genesis just how giants are formed. In fact, the 36 tribes of giants that are named throughout the Bible are all named after the different lineages that derive from Cam's lineage. All giants, demigods, half angels, hybrids, half Anunnaki, half fae, same thing. Now, the Dravidians were a part of the stock of Sumerians that settled in the Indus River Valley as well as what we now know as southern India. The Dravidians were the lineage that derived from Nimrod via his daughter, Princess Azarat. So we're following this from Sumeria, aka Shinar, aka Babylon, where the stories of the Anunnaki are prevalent and where to this day we find the epics of the Anunnaki there in what is now known as Iraq. And Nimrod's daughter and her stock, they go down into the Indus River Valley. And so you see these stories follow this group. This group, by the way, are the descendants of demigods and gods as they are the descendants of both Cam and Nimrod. The Aryans came down and colonized these Dravidians as these people were not an aggressive lot. They were what is called a civilization centered around the divine feminine, whereas the Aryans were a people centered around the divine masculine and thus more aggressive instead. So it was easy for them. The Aryans then named this land after themselves and today it is called Iran after the Aryans. A few syncretic religions were born 
one being Hinduism itself. The people were called Hindus because it is a conflation of the Indus River Valley people when Indus is pronounced Hindus instead of Indus, thus birthing the term Hindus. But as far as the people of the city of Persis in Iran, which became the Persian Empire, the entities there, they named Peris, P-E-R-I-S, which of course was both the Aryans and Dravidians way of describing the Anunnaki, their alien gods, the gods who descended upon the earth, the gods who show up in every single religion to date. The word Peri, P-E-R-I, means winged. And of course, the name of these winged entities mirror the name of the people as cultures tend to name and depict the Anunnaki in fashions of themselves. Just like the Anglo-Saxons took these same winged entities and called them angels to mirror the name of their people, the Anglo-Saxons. So there's that. The Peris over time became fairies. F-A-I-R-I-E-S. Fairies are generally described as being human in appearance and as having magical powers. Diminutive fairies of various kinds have been reported through centuries, ranging from quite tiny to being the size of a human. These small sizes, however, could be magically assumed rather than constant. Some smaller fairies could also expand their figures to imitate humans. In Hinduism, we see the cities are material, paranormal, supernatural, or otherwise magical powers, abilities, and attainments that are the products of enlightenment. Essentially, with enlightenment, humans can become just like the gods. In Christianity and in the Mesopotamian texts, this is something that causes division between the gods or angel. There was one sect that was against such equality as they are the gods or angels that had less direct interaction with mankind. And then there was the other sect, which is the sect whose roles put them into daily direct contact with mankind. And this is the sect who wanted to fight for humans to be equals to the Anunnaki and for them to do this they wanted humans to be able to gain enlightenment and have free will and to eat that forbidden fruit of knowledge of which did happen. Interaction does defeat prejudice, a fact since the beginning of time evidently. comes to the nature and abilities of the Fae, let's focus on the eight Ashta cities or the cities of great perfection in Hinduism. There is Anima, the ability to reduce one's body to the size of an atom. Mahima, the ability to expand one's body to an infinitely large size. Lahima, the ability to become weightless or lighter than air. Garima, the ability to become heavy or dense. Prapti, the ability to realize whatever one desires. Prakama, the ability to access any place in the world. Isitva, the ability to control all material elements or natural forces. Visitva, the ability to force influence upon anybody. In the Bhagavata Purana, there is the Kamarapan city that allows one to assume any form that they desire. Then there is also the Parakaya Pravesanam city, which allows one to enter the bodies of another, which can be viewed as possession in other belief systems.
systems. These are just a few of the cities, not all of them. But as you can see already, that these abilities are what we today would call superpowers, essentially. Powers of deities, spirits, gods, and even demons. These are the abilities that the fallen angels fought for humanity to have in order to be equal to them. These are the abilities that mankind can gain via enlightenment. These are the abilities which the Anunnaki entity, Enlil, who goes as Biblical Yahweh in modern day, did not want for humans to have because there was potential for the humans to not only become equal to the Anunnaki deities, but to also supersede them and overtake them in the future. If these abilities became common knowledge and commonly achieved, which when you look at lore that involves Atlantis and the lost continent of Mu, humans during a certain era certainly achieved these cities. It was common for every human to possess these abilities according to these lores. When you look at the Akkadian epic of Atrahasis, it is told that biblical Yahweh sent plagues, famines, and floods every 1200 years periodically in order to depopulate the humans because he was not happy with their enlightened states. It bothered him greatly and caused him to even lose sleep. And Lil's brother Enki, who is now called Biblical Satan and the serpent in the Garden of Eden, would curve these floods, plagues, and famines by essentially telling Noah the secrets of the heavens and which gods to appease and approach to aid him. Until finally, Enlil grew tired of Enki and Noah and decided to wipe humanity out in one fell swoop with a much, much larger flood. But Enki managed to weasel Noah and his family out of that as well. Now, the Fae, being spirits of nature, of course, there were those who embodied nature. The rocks, the trees, plants, the rivers, animals, and so forth. Even the sun and the moon, where in the Book of Enoch we are told such sky bodies are operated by groups of angels and that the weather, the floodgates of heaven, which are literal gate mechanisms to the earth's dome to keep the water which is outer space outside of the dome but basically these gates control how much is allowed in at any given time and place and these gates exist above and below the earth and are operated by angels of whom are actually the Anunnaki but of whom we are referring to as the Fae in this tape to keep things cohesive now let's take it back a few tapes when we discuss Edgar Casey, the father of new age spirituality now Casey's readings indicate that the latter stages of Lemuria and Atlantis was a time when the whole world spoke one language, a time prior to the Tower of Babel. Casey also noted that these now lost civilizations at their beginning did not host physical beings because they were closer to what he calls the source. The further away from source mankind became, the more physical body became the norm. But during the Age of Fables, we are told about how the gods inhabited nature going into the likes of trees and rocks. Now this reminds me of the original language of the Khoisan, which includes clicks. And when you think about how humans domesticate and communicate with animals, clicks are used. Think about calling your dog, cat, and even horses. Meaning, if we all spoke one language, that means the click language of people like the Khoisan, the Zulu, and Zosa of Central and Southern Africa have remnants of that one world language that was used to communicate by not only humans, but these higher beings who later went into the plants and the animals and nature itself. Not to mention, the indigenous of the world are and were known for practicing animism. Animism is the belief that plants, animals, nature, inanimate objects, and natural phenomena are living 
living beings. This is why they have such a profound respect for nature and do not use more than they need and thank a plant and or animal after killing it for nutrition, shelter, weaponry, and so forth. The practice of animism is a direct result of the gods falling to inhabit nature itself during the age of fables. An example of animism is in the animation Pocahontas. You see her talking to the mother tree or an avatar where all the Navi are a part of this one source which fuels everything in their world. Now modern science is just now catching on to something the indigenous have been believing. Scientifically speaking they have actually found that plants do things like scream when you cut them and make different sounds all the time according to how they are touched and what the status of them and their environment is. They also have memory. If you abuse them they scream when they see you coming. Humans cannot hear them in today's time thanks to something called plant blindness that stems from our brain preventing itself from an overlord and thus blocking plants out because plants are always communicating and plants are literally everywhere and actually account for 99.7% of earth's biomass. Meanwhile us humans and animals only account for 0.3% of the planet's biomass. So imagine being able to hear plants. You would hear them all the time. It would be constant non-stop talking going on. Scientifically it has been proven that plants are conscious. They do have memory. They do communicate with one another all the time. They do have an average memory of 40 days and that they are spatially and socially aware. They are intelligent beings. Plants can see, feel, smell, breathe, move, hear, and see and do all of this without any organs. Now the interesting thing about the Khoisan ethnic group and their click language is that it is likely a remnant language of the original one world language spoken during the age of fable. A language that the gods spoke as well and thus the plants and the animals and rocks and nature in general also understand because the gods descended into nature. So it is a language that the gods and nature around us still understand to this day except we have fallen so far from the source that our souls now need a meat suit to harness it and mankind is now unable to perceive higher frequencies that are spoken all around us daily by nature and the gods unless a human is enlightened. Now the Khoisan are the oldest ethnic group in the world so it makes sense that their language will possess a remnant of the original one world language. The Khoisan ethnic group's unknown genetic markers and unique genetic makeup represent the most ancient genetic divergence at over 260,000 years old. As for animism itself, it can be found throughout the world's belief systems in some way, form, or shape. When people eat, some people thank God or say a prayer. This is no different than the indigenous thanking nature of which they believe is God. This relates to the faith because it is from the age of fables, the angels falling and becoming a part of nature by inhabiting nature itself that leads to the fae becoming known as elementals and nature spirits. told before on this channel it is in the book of giants where it is told that the angels not only made it with humans but with creatures of the air land and seas they made it with animals of all sorts and these angels were of male and female gender the bible simply calls all these offsprings giants but that is an oversimplification the angels came in all sorts of forms past what the nine different types of angels are described as being past 
some of them having multiple eyes, wings, and heads. There are several different species of the Anunnaki after all. There are the reptilians, the lions or cat people, the ant people, the dog or jackal people, the Pleiadians, Andromedans, Orinians, Arcturians, Sirians, and others that are the figures that make up the different species of what is called the Anunnaki of whom the different belief systems throughout time has called gods, aliens, demons, angels, fallen angels, fairies, fairies, nature spirits, and so forth. Each species of the Anunnaki are different in appearance, affinity, and ability, each deriving from different galaxies and or planets themselves. Taking that into account, the Anunnaki's interbreeding with humans and the different animals of the earth, this resorted in the creatures of what is now called mythology. But these creatures were their hybrid offspring, such as fawns, sphinxes, werewolves, cyclops, humanoid giants, minotaurs, chimera, flying horses, and a lot of them. These children were half human, half Anunnaki, or half animal, half Anunnaki. These same hybrid children would then go on to interbreed with each other, as well as other humans and other Anunnaki. And then in turn, the children of these children would mate with other mixed species, offspring, animals, humans, and the Anunnaki. And the cycle would repeat for many generations, resulting in numerous combinations of anthropomorphic beings, or what people in modern day consider to be monsters. But like with any group, not all of the children were evil, and not all of them were good either. They had free will. Just like humans, they could be good, bad, or a mix of both. The Book of Giants goes on to state that the origin of demons begins when Biblical Yahweh curses the mixed species offspring born to the Anunnaki human and animal parents. This curse was never lifted even after the flood, which did not kill all of these entities. The curse entailed that these children born of such abomination would not be able to ascend after death into heaven and instead be damned to roam the earth until the time appointed. This curse applied whether these entities were good or bad. And so this is where your humanoid and anthropomorphic disembodied spirits come from. Humanoid pertains to human-like and human-looking entities. And anthropomorphic here means entities that have features that are any combination of gods, animals, humans, nature, and or even objects, but still possessing human-like qualities and traits. Depending on what combination makes up an anthropomorphic being's form, humans result to calling them monsters because their form is often incomprehensible. Think of the apocalyptical creatures described in the Bible, for example. Rather humanoid or anthropomorphic, it is key to note that while some of these entities roam the earth as disembodied spirits, meaning they have experienced death, there are others of them that never died at all. And to add on to that, these entities, disembodied or not, possess the abilities described earlier in the Hindu Vedas as cities, these supernatural abilities. And given their different bloodlines, they also have certain affinities to certain abilities. A common city many would pin to these children would be that of possession or shape-shifting and potentially showing up as unfamiliar spirits in the likeness of loved ones sometimes. They are the children of the transgressions of the Anunnaki animals and humans. This is also why Cam's lineage fell into racist platitudes millennia later when black people were considered demonic with no soul and told that they could not get into heaven. It's because of this curse 
curse that was never lifted even after the flood and this also affected Cam's lineage especially because their lineage exponentially kept interbreeding with the fallen angels even after the flood and given the ancient schisms that existed between humans and some of these offspring some of these children hate humans while they might not have hated their human mothers they hate the humans who condemned the likes of her and thus they are not so trusting of humans some harbor hate towards humans and some just try to steer clear of humans altogether on the contrary of course there are those who understand that it was not all humans that acted violently towards them or harbored hate towards them and their mothers and fathers and thus these entities are kinder entities or neutral entities overall however i tell these details because it is critical to the following tapes trekking through the highlands and national forests of america where the indigenous label certain territories as places that are either sacred and full of benevolent beings or places that are malevolent and full of temperamental and sometimes dangerous beings and then there are the lands of which both entities exist the indigenous understanding of this allowed them to live in harmony with these entities for 20,000 plus years but with the arrival of colonizers who dismissed the indigenous beliefs as being savage and ignorant and the colonizer utilization of metals such as iron as spoken of earlier this caused a disruption with these entities and thus nature overall in these territories there was an obvious pattern of nature becoming unbalanced resulting in several occurrences of mysterious phenomena frequenting the lands from then to now especially during the industrial revolution when the colonizers upped the ante something to keep in mind and so we begin end of tape one